I'm Chris Nessie, host of Behind the Mic, Voices of the EPN, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Monday. I know it is definitely very cold in many areas, and I know here in this part of South Texas, we're definitely getting that cold snap coming in. But if you guys are joining us today, thank you so much for joining us, or wherever it is you may be joining us around the world. We really appreciate you being here and supporting our show. Thank you, as always, for all the likes, the shares, the follows. Thank you so much for just the DMs and the feedback, guys. We really appreciate it. As you know, we do what we do for you so we can bring you some amazing conversations, amazing topics, and also amazing guests. And today is no different. Today, we've got an amazing and wonderful guest that I had the opportunity to connect with via LinkedIn, and I am excited to have a conversation with Mr. Evan Harris, who's joining us this evening. Evan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's so fun to be on here. I was actually just going to say, like, has anyone ever complimented you on the song that plays at the top of the show? No, no. no. I was vibing out. Like, oh, that's I, awesome. love that. I feel like Tribe Called Quest is about to start rapping or something. I'm oh, like, man, that is that? awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Evan. That's great. That's uh, you're the first person to ever comment on that. And thank you oh, so dude. much for the compliment. Yeah. And we're getting joined here. We've got Thomas, who's joining us also on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for joining us from Indiana. So, Evan, uh, you know, I'm really excited about today's conversation. As you've seen, you know, I've lately a lot of the shows that I've been doing have been obviously around AI, generative AI, and just having the conversations with, uh, you know, higher education. We've had learning designers, we've had professors, we've had practitioners, we've had all sorts of wonderful people with amazing backgrounds, each having and sharing their own experiences with us. And, you know, it was great to connect with you via LinkedIn. I had seen that, uh, I think either you reposted or posted on on somebody I didn't remember who it was and I follow and I was like oh my gosh this is some like really deep stuff and we're like on the same web web wavelength as far as thinking about things and so I'm just thankful that you found a little bit of time in your busy schedule to be with us here so I'm excited to have my audience get to know who you are so if you don't mind Evan if you can give us a little introduction and what your context is within the education space we definitely that'll definitely kick off the conversation and we'll take it from there Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah. So I, this is actually my first year not teaching. So I, I taught for a decade uh, at independent schools in Arizona and Texas. Um, actually worked in the music industry in Nashville and Los Angeles before that took a very sharp uh, right turn into teaching. Um, but yeah, I was an English teacher for years, debate teacher, uh, administrator, coach. Um, it, I think at most schools, but definitely at independent schools, kind of expected to wear a lot of hats. And you work at those schools. So I, I did a little bit of everything. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, last year graduated. I did the two summers master's program at Klingenstein. So it's a master's in private school leadership uh, at Teachers College at Columbia. And I think a lot of people who do that program sort of want to be heads of school or, you know, dean of whatever, or division head. And, and those are, you know, fantastic ambitions, but it didn't quite feel right for me. I was getting excited about the tech side of school, having gone through the pandemic and 
seeing schools grapple with virtual instruction. Um, I don't know. I just kind of felt like we were at the edge of something really interesting. So I basically took uh, six months to kind of create my own plan of study where I studied everything from like UX design to conversation design and designed my own chatbots and uh, got like my scrum master certification and like did a Python boot camp, uh, studied at the human centered AI program at Stanford, like just studying like technology ethics. I just wanted to kind of rid myself of the imposter syndrome that I was feeling on the tech side. Um, and then I started getting people from my network asking me to consult for their school or do PD at their school. I do now. So um, I'll do PD in person for a school just in and out in a day, or I'll do something over Zoom for a smaller group. Or what I'm finding increasingly is that schools want to be on for months at a time and to help them for more of like a systems change perspective and to help them with policy uh, and to kind of like help them navigate in a broader and sort of uh, longer term. That is amazing. You know, that's great. And, you know, it's so great to hear, you know, especially that you mentioned during pandemic and then from there just kind of taking off and, you know, the imposter syndrome that, you know, it, it always creeps in no matter what area you want to go into and things of that sort. But I'm glad that, you know, things went well, you overcame those things and just listening to everything that you've done, even, like, you know, Scrum Master and, you yeah. know, really getting into tech and chatbots and so on. You know, all of those skills easily transferable and especially right now in, in the last year that how we've seen education change. Mm -hmm. It's November of 2022 and now this whole year and, you know, going into 2024 and everybody's like, yeah, this is the year for AI. This is the year for AI. And obviously we know that it's going to grow. We've seen it already coming into our schools into our districts and districts having those conversations or some still not really starting. And, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit too, just to get kind of your thoughts and seeing your perspectives. Cause I, I know you've mentioned you were right now you're in uh, Washington mm -hmm. working there, but it's really cool that you mentioned Arizona. Cause I, I did a year of teaching in Arizona. Also, oh, nice. Yeah. Bullhead city. So that was okay. great. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I was up in like the Prescott Valley, like middle of the state, like middle of nowhere. It was yeah. like 40 minute drive to the grocery store. Nowhere. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. I was yeah. like there Bullhead city. I was an hour and a half from Vegas, like right, right. there in the desert. And then the Wallapai mountains are about an hour and a half away. And you know, you can go from 127 to like 53 in an hour yeah. and a half, just because of that. But anyway, yeah, Arizona was great. So I want to ask you, Evan, you know, now with your experience and, you know, working with schools and and seeing what you've seen in this last year, what is it that you've seen that has made the biggest impact on you so far in this year since ChatGPT being released, released, since a lot of education apps making their way into the campuses? What is your number one biggest takeaway so far this year? Yeah, so I was actually just at EdTech Week uh, not that long ago, I guess over this yeah. summer. <laughs> when was that? The fall? Time it was in the fall. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was in the fall. I was, uh, so I, I went to New York just to kind of scope out like what was happening with, with um, AI getting put into everything, essentially. Um, and I think my reaction kind of is what I would have expected, which is that we're getting a lot of sort of like a wrapper in front of chat different ui um and a lot of that uh, and you've had other guests say this and I'll, I'll echo it is 
um, just sort of putting, it's almost like putting a rocket engine on a horse. You're, you're, you're supercharging bad teaching, right? Um, so there is a kind of a disconnect and teachers often feel this. I think when we're pitched ed tech is that we have this reaction of like, was a teacher involved in the creation of this at any point? Like there's no, uh, there's no understanding of like formative feedback or metacognition or transfer or productive failure or any of those kind of like core tenant of pedagogy that we know actually make a difference in learning. Um, because fundamentally ed tech companies, I think are set up like tech companies. They're set up with account executives and programmers and like, uh, you know, customer success people. There's very rarely, if ever, someone who's in charge of the learning science. Um, and I think that shows in a lot of the ed tech that's out there. There are a couple exceptions um, that I'm, that I, you know, I'd be happy to talk about that I think are really cool, but uh, they're the exception um, more than the rule, unfortunately. I think what surprised me most on the teacher side, like getting into schools, I sort of knew that when I got into schools and started doing PD that uh, talking about AI would be a very emotional subject and very fraught. But uh, even kind of knowing that intellectually going into schools, I was still taken aback by it in the room. Um, I feel like sometimes I can tell where the English department is sitting by how many people kind of have their arms crossed like this. Um, but there is just a lot of crossed arm energy. And when you go into a school to talk about AI, even if your focus is on ethics and safety and authentic assessment, which mine is, um, and you're not just a hype person for AI, which I think is the wrong approach, people kind of project all their ideas about AI onto you. So before I've even opened my mouth, like 10% of the faculty, they just do. Um, so that kind of took me by surprise of being like, wow, like, okay, people are, have very strong opinions about this in a lot of cases. And they'll kind of project that onto you if you come into their school community. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. And I see that. And, you know, even, and again, not even just with AI, but myself uh, in my role as an instructional software specialist, I mean, every year we're either doing a refresher or, you know, something new rolls out within the platforms that we use, or we just have a new app altogether that we need to roll out. And even with that, you know that, you know, you get that vibe, you get that energy, like, oh, great, another thing something else, you know, the tech burden and okay, how often do we need to use? And the question is, okay, what's the district expectation? Do I need to use this every day? Is it once a week? Is it this and that? And, you know, they already come in with that. But now I completely agree with you, especially, you know, there was a lot of, you know, just people really voicing their opinions at the very beginning. Now, you know, seeing kind of like two different sides, you know, we've got the, the adopters that are just like, yeah, we're going to bring it into the classrooms, we're using it. And then there's some you know, of us that may feel like, well, you know, is it really being beneficial? Is it really taking education and redefining it? Or again, like we were talking about the SAMR model you know, earlier, are we just simply substituting, you know, just bad practice or, a di or you know, just still adding bad practice? So uh, again, you know, what have you seen through your experience? I know you mentioned it right now, you know, we're just kind of still applying some kind of bad habits mm -hmm. with AI. What are some of the things that you've seen as you've visited some school districts, um, yeah. you know, recently? Yeah, one of the really cool ones, and I'm actually very curious if this resonates with your audience and, and people have seen this too, because this was sort of um, interesting to see, maybe not surprising. 
um, in as much as there are English departments with that crossed arm energy, the table that is always so down to learn and so up for this, and I have a theory as to why, is the uh, foreign language department. And my theory on this is that they've been doing authentic assessment for a long time. They've been doing oral presentations and projects, and they're, they haven't become so reliant on this idea of education as a single product. If you're really reliant on assessment as an, a single essay or a single test, AI is a really big threat. If you see education and learning as a process and not a single product, or you have a lot of flexibility about the medium or mode through which you assess, you immediately, I think, or maybe you are more willing to sort of think about how AI supports that versus how AI is a threat to it. So those departments that are already doing um, or already maybe have sort of a broader sense of assessment, I think are better prepared to integrate AI thoughtfully and to um, use AI to support authentic assessment rather than seeing it in this threatening way. Um, so far, that's really coming from language, which I think is interesting. That is interesting. And, you know, I'm, I'm still going to add here too also as well. You know, currently going through my doctoral program, even my doctoral program and my chairs are they're like pro They're They're like, you know, hey, you know, this is out there. And, but yet they're the same ones that did the, uh, my master's program. And again, really authentic assessment. I mean, it wasn't just writing papers. It yeah. was, hey, you're going to produce a video. You're going to produce a podcast. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And so they just found this to, you know, as a way to take it to that next level. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, even within our current settings, you know, as many as as many platforms as there can be out there, you're absolutely right. You know, there are many that if you are just stuck in a certain way and one certain type of assessment, we can see how AI can definitely not be or you may not be the biggest fan of it yeah. whatsoever. Now, for myself, some of the things that I have seen and and I'm just throwing this out there again also to see if it resonates with anybody or even yourself as you visited mm-hmm. schools, but conversation this weekend, I had, you know, a certain individual that I work with saying, hey, um, so I hear that, you know, you're, you're pretty proficient with AI or you can use AI and you mentioned a platform that, um, you know, that you're familiar with. Is there any way that you can teach me that platform? Because what we're going to do is we want to create revising and editing exercises for second graders. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Okay. Tell me how that's going to work. So yeah, we just want you, we just want you to create the little paragraphs. We're going to take those paragraphs and we're going to edit them. And we're going to make them all wrong. And then we're going to share them with the teachers so they can share with their second graders. And then they can practice the revising and editing. And I'm thinking to myself, don't we already have worksheets for that? We already have a curriculum that does that Mm -hmm. and so on. So kind of going back to SEM, our model, you know, to me, Mm -hmm. it just seems like, okay, we've got this wonderful technology that can really help modify or and redefine the learning. But we're kind of stuck on that, you know, substitution where... You know, when we went from, you know, brick and mortar and, of course, shut down schools to COVID, everybody had a Chromebook. And now we went from paper worksheets to digital worksheets with certain apps because you can annotate. But then you never really went in deeper to what Mm. you can actually do. So have you seen any of that happening or what has been your experience as you visited various districts now? Yeah, Um I mean, I, uh, I I shared this with you a little bit earlier today, but I'll, I'll uh, mention it on the pod, which is that um, I, I love acronyms because I can never remember anything. This is so much information to hold in your brain and be able to communicate. So um, the acronym I came up with for ways for AI to support authentic assessment was iPad. 
So it was ideation, personalization, automation, and data design, which I, I put together. So um, I'll just give you like one example of AI doing something that I think is like actually maybe getting us to the R part of SAMR or like doing, doing something that is like transformative in some way. So, you know, if we're having students, especially high school students, doing more sort of project-based learning, entrepreneurship, um, authentic assessment that is kind of outward looking in the sense that it's trying to solve a real problem or address a real issue or create a real product, that requires a certain amount of data literacy or the collection of data. But um, for a lot of students, I think collecting qualitative and quantitative data is intimidating. And it would have been, I think, to me in high school as someone who saw myself as like a humanities person. But AI is very, very good at making quantitative data visual in bars and, and uh, bar charts and graphs, um, and very good at finding patterns in qualitative. So if students are doing focus groups or surveys or interviews, that's a lot of language that's being input. And it can be very difficult to create personas out of that or to find patterns in it. Um, but large language models are excellent. So I think then the question is like, okay, well, what do we do with that time savings? Like if we can take some of the drudgery out um, or find patterns um, better or more quickly, how can we then leverage that time savings to do like those higher order collaborative tasks that only humans can do? So I think like that's just one example of like a really good application of AI is to say, okay, this can help students with data, with the, what is kind of drudgery for a lot of people to then move to those like higher order tasks. Um, so that's, that's one I would throw out there. Cause I think ideally, you know, data literacy, computer science, it's not an end, it's a means to an end, right? It's not a discrete skill, it's a complementary skill. So I think the faster we can think about it in those terms and the faster we can think about AI supporting it in those terms, Excellent. No, I absolutely love that. And and you kind of brought us to the next point, kind of segueing into, you know, AI literacy. Mm. You know, we, we've been hearing about it. We've been listening to it and so on. But I mean, obviously, the, the, and, and I'm just speaking for myself and my experience. So usually, you know, from January on to May, and, and you've lived here in Texas, so you're a little bit familiar here in Houston, January to May, it's all about state testing season. And usually a lot of these conversations fall on the wayside. So although there might be, you know, some stakeholders uh, within districts that are listening, that are, you know, watching the show, maybe, you know, or whatever the case is, and want to learn a little bit more about AI literacy, can you give us a little explanation of what it is and why it's important yeah. so we can start having those conversations as to what a AI literacy is and why it's important not only for teachers, but for students as well. Yeah, 100%. So I do think it's important to have some really basic understanding of how these large language models work. But the reason I think that's important is that it's much easier to understand the kind of core safety and ethics challenges of using them if you have that baseline of knowledge. So um, the core challenges that I think about most are uh, media, uh, exploitation of the workers, especially the content moderators, um, the climate effects of using AI, uh, hallucinations and objectivity, um, and probably also like copyright. Um, I think having students be aware of some of those issues, uh, also kind of taking AI off of a pedestal and realizing that it's not always right. Um, it is not this like sole arbiter of truth. You kind of have to critique it and model that behavior in front of your students and show them the ways in which it's powerful, powerful, but also the ways in which it's very mediocre. Um, I think that's important. You know, 
to the I think there's some benefit too to just learning how to talk to it right and the kind of like the prompt prompt engineering side but frankly I think that's like not the crux of it you know everyone who's uh, every governmental organization that, that's talked about AI literacy has really put ethics and safety piece first as a prerequisite for bringing into the classroom so that's where I start really with schools is like okay let's get this baseline knowledge of how these models work and that's not to intimidate people or to like go do a deep dive into computer science because that just turns people off. But I think it's important to know that stuff so that they're more prepared to understand the safety and ethics challenges. And the last thing I'll say, and that I, I think takes it a step further is, schools and students shouldn't feel like passive users of AI. This is still like a, an industry that's in its, in its sort of a nascent form, right? So we can be active in affecting change. So I'll give you an example, like the exploitation piece, right? So. Like for OpenAI, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with this um, or your listeners, but for OpenAI, um, creating ChatGPT, like went to a company in Kenya who hired workers, paid them $1.30 an hour to label uh, outputs that were um, like racist, sexist, all these different horrible things, but also like images and textual descriptions of murder, rape, child pornography, animal abuse, like the worst things in the world you can imagine. That's what they were sifting through for hours a day. And that's an industry that happens in the global south predominantly. They get paid very little. It's almost entirely unregulated. But there are organizations like Global Voices, Partnership for AI, NotMy.ai, that are trying to inform people about this and that are trying to put some regulatory um, changes in, in place. So I think it's really important for students and teachers to not just kind of passively accept that, this, that these are the trade-offs we have to make if we want to use this technology but to have the awareness that like, no, there are organizations you can get involved with. There are like things you can do. Like it doesn't end with just being aware of the safety and eth ethics challenges. You can also like do something. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that you mentioned there too is just that collaboration. I think that we have such a great opportunity that with this new technology to everybody play an important role. And even again, even if it's just within like your classroom, like you mentioned, or within your school setting, and even for us, you know, that are, you know, out there, you know, just bringing, you know, people like yourself on the on the show and learning about this and getting all that out there. I mean, it's very important to help and shape, you know, how it's being used, how the effects and really learn about what's happening out there. I mean, you mentioned even, you know, the environmental change. And I know a lot of people, you know, that's been coming out a lot, too, as far as the amount of water that it can be used because, you know, you've got to run these servers and things of that sort. Uh, many times we don't think about those things because we're just, we're the end user. And as long as I get my output, hey, I'm in, I'm out and I'm good. But like you mentioned, you know, sifting through that data, sifting through those prompts and flagging those things, you know, and, and just not only that, you know, the inappropriate stuff that's coming out, but sitting there and you having to read all that inappropriate junk that's out there, yeah. you know, the and the effects that it can have on you by listening, watching, hearing, and all of those things. I mean, it goes beyond what we might see in our classroom when we're using an app, you know, whether you're a teacher or whether you're a student. So I think that's something that is very important. So yeah. I want to ask you, I know you mentioned, you know, we do have the opportunity to collaborate and you did mention some organizations. Um, you know, are there any resources that while you go out and train, you know, a lot of districts and school leaders, mm -hmm. anything that you might recommend just for our listeners that are teachers or educators and are just curious and want to just, you know, learn a little bit more so they're prepared when this comes on 
full on, you know, within their class settings or whether they're with their districts. Yeah, 100%. So, um, I mean, obviously, AI for education, Amanda Bickerstaff, she's great. Um, I would say that one of them uh, that's really interesting is the National Association for Media Literacy Education. It's like N-A-M-L-E. Um, so I do a podcast with uh, Aaron Shorn, and it's called Unruler. And we're having Michelle Lipkin, who's the executive director of that organization, on, um, I think, later this week. And that's a really interesting one because schools for the last 10 years or so have been interested in teaching media literacy because we've kind of sensed that it's an important skill for students to have. They have to tell the difference between a real story and a fake one. They have to be able to do fact checking. They've got to understand some of the psychological principles behind things like information bias and team psychology and all the stuff that affects us as consumers and creators of content. Um, but AI is just making all this so much more necessary because the line between what's real and what's not is getting blurrier. So I think part of what is scaring people about AI is, you know, kind of like the deep fakes and, you know, the implications, frankly, for our democracy and for our political discourse. So um, that's an organization that has fantastic resources. And the, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is that this stuff is coming. It's kind of already here, like the voice clones and the scam artists. It's already coming. Um, and it's going to get, like I said, blurrier and blurrier. The good news, I think, though, is that like the human brain is the same this year as it was three years ago, right? So all of the research we have about the psychology of this stuff, right, is still applicable. And there have been people who've been doing good work on media literacy now for years. So I think it just, frankly, like gas has been poured on the fire, but we still have a lot of resources to fight that fire. Oh, good. That's excellent. And thank you so much for sharing that. And Definitely, you know, AI for Education, Amanda Bickerstaff is yeah. amazing. She's been a guest on the show and she is definitely a wealth of knowledge and doing some amazing things so for sure. And thank you so much for sharing also. Um, what was it? It was, uh, can you repeat that one more time? The National was, Association for Media Literacy and Education. I'm 99% sure I've got that right. It's definitely N-A-M-L. Perfect. Excellent. So that's a way for all our audience members that are listening, they can go ahead and make sure and check that out. So now kind of bringing it back down a little bit, I know we kind of segued from the order of the questions, but it's okay. Don't worry. About it. That's the, the beautiful part about being a live show. But coming back to your experience, and like you mentioned, you know, working with schools and district leaders, and, you know, I want to ask you, you know, what are some of the, the challenges that you see that schools may face or are facing in implementing AI education? And yeah. what are some ways or discussions that you've had on how to address some of these challenges? Yeah, so I think that this is fundamentally not a tech issue. There are tech components of it, but the really hard stuff is the human piece. It's systems change, right? This is fundamentally like an organizational development systems change issue, um, which is part of what I studied um, at Teachers College, and I'm kind of a nerd about it. So it's, uh, sort of in my wheelhouse to think about it in those terms. I would say that a couple of things that I tell school leaders and heads of school that um, might be interesting to your audience. So the first one is that um, there is, I think, a misconception that people fear change, but people don't really fear change exactly. I mean, we just had New Year's. People make New Year's resolutions, right? People embrace change when they want to. So what I think is happening is really that people are fearing the loss that can sometimes accompany change. And for teachers, that could be a fear of, of losing your sense of confidence, your sense of stability, your sense of autonomy. That, that's what all the fears around AI are really wrapped up with. It's not just, oh, we're all scared of change. Like, no, we've been through a lot of change. There's change fatigue. 
it's a fear of loss, right? Um, so I think it's really important for school leaders to create a space for teachers to name that and to have an honest conversation about that sense of loss and to grapple with that openly and honestly. Another one that I think is really important for school leaders is, um, you know, systems change is sometimes called like change management. And that's a term I never use because it sort of gives you the idea that you as a leader need to kind of pull on these levers and change your school. But that's not really the way change works in a complicated organization. Um, it's not this kind of top down by mandate thing. School leaders, what they really need to be doing is looking for where change is already happening and supporting it. Right. Um, and also, I think being kind of anchors of stability, people are a lot more willing to go along with a change if there's very clear messaging about what is not going to change and what the school's core identity is. So part of a leader's role in a school really needs to be kind of that like anchor of stability and that that um, that rock really to say, like, this is who we are. This is what is absolutely not going to change. But to also give that message of this is the change, these are the changes that need to happen and the kind of urgency behind it. Um, but they're really not the drivers of it. They're the supporters of it, because I'm sure, you know, if you've worked in schools, you know, there is going to be that 10 percent early adopter crowd that are doing amazing things. Um, it's really the school leader's job to find those people and to support them. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, going back to that and, and seeing that in the role that I'm in, kind of seeing it from you know, being up here at the top and seeing it, you know, with, with our, all our schools, there definitely are those leaders. And oftentimes it is so hard because I, I'm usually, most of the time I'm the mediator between that. And as much as I want to give them like, yes, yes, this is what we're going to do. And, but again, you know, we're not quite there yet. And, and it's, it's such a shame because I honestly, and, and you said it so well though, even though we feel like we, like we're behind, you know, I think we're still, doing well and continually moving forward, I know that those conversations need to be had and really, you know, involve all stakeholders all the way from, and I truly believe, you know, from superintendents to CTOs, to curriculum directors, involving parents and students also as well, because that's very important that everybody be on the same page. And oftentimes I feel that as school districts, we don't do that good of a job in really, in you know, integrating our parents into a lot of the policies or things that, that you know, are going to be changing. And in this case, this is definitely a big one. So I want to ask you as far as, you know, we mentioned kind of sometimes wanting to just do things the way we've always been done and that fear of change, mm -hmm. you know, what are some of the things as far as what you've seen in districts, uh, maybe some of the tools that they want to implement? Is it just opening up chat GPT or is it, you know, a lot of the education platforms that are coming in? Uh, what are your conversations looking like, you know, as far as, you know, what teachers are wanting within the district and trying to form a policy uh, around that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, it's every school is in such a different place on this. It, it's difficult to, like, make too broad of a statement. Um, I mean, I'm it's, you know, if, if you're like me, you were using uh, ChatGPT in like November of last year or something. And so it can be difficult for us to imagine, like, because there's still a pretty significant portion of teachers who've just never used it yeah. or who used it once and was like, ah, it's fine. It's okay. And they just never use it again. And for those of us who use it all the time and use tons of AI tools, it almost feels like, you know, if, if like aliens landed on earth and there were just a portion of the population was like, nah, it's fine. Like, I'll check it out like later. It's like, really? Because aliens just landed, a, like a spaceship landed on earth. Like, you're not curious about this. 
like there's just a bunch of people that are like no not not really um so yeah i i think let me put it this way i would say that the message to teachers if the message is like hey the world is changing really fast and you need to like move fast with it that is going to fall absolutely flat because they don't have the bandwidth for that we've just been through a pandemic there's tons of tech fatigue tons of change fatigue that kind of call to action of like hey the world is changing really fast and you've got to get on this bandwagon that that just repels teachers they hate and they should um i think if the message is um you know we've got to make sure our students are prepared um, and we've got to make a move towards authentic assessment. Um, they're a little bit more open to that. So even just giving them a prompt for ChatGPT that shows them how something they were planning to assign that week or the next week could be reimagined uh, as a more authentic assessment. Um, that gets them the sort of creative juices flowing a little bit and it feels more immediately relevant to their practice. Um, so I think that's like a better in with teachers is to do lesson planning, like talk about like make the time count for them right like there's nothing worse than a pd session that just goes on and on and stays in this abstract area they don't want to like that's awful like they've got things to do they've got things to grade lesson planning to do so if you can make the time count towards something that's actually useful to them for their classroom that's going to land a lot better i think excellent yeah and we've got a comment here from jesus jesus says one of my students was fascinated by chat gpt which prompted me to invest more time in it and learn more about AI. So thank you so much, Jesus. Um, and again, you know, that's the way it starts. Many times, a lot of the learning that I did, I did for my students and that, that mm -hmm. piqued my curiosity. And I'm like, hey, you know, this is great. But in this case, it, it's really, you know, I, I, it's surprisingly, like you mentioned, and one of the things recently, we had an AI summit here in our area before Christmas break. And yeah, I think there was maybe about 150, 170 attendees and i was surprised like you mentioned still a very small percentage of people had not even logged in to chat gpt or had played around with any of the tools that may be out there even for the education um you know uh, community and so they learned about them there now one of the things that that i did present on is i didn't wow anybody with any tools but it was really just talking about that human element which i think is so important that empathy and understanding, like, I think you hit a little bit on there where the teacher frustration, sometimes that fear of missing out, like I'm so far behind. And one of the things to me that that I've been sharing a lot of presentations on is really just kind of, a, I call it kiss your AI, which is keep it simple and streamlined. But it's really to help those educators that are just overwhelmed. They're yeah. very overwhelmed because the tech is coming at them fast. And just when they feel that comfortable or they've mastered something, now all of a sudden it's AI is here. Now, what am I going to do? And it was very interesting, you know, in sharing that conversation, uh, there was a lot of people that I, I got to speak to at the end and they were just very thankful. And they were like, sir, we, I was just so overwhelmed and I really needed to hear this because, you know, I, it's that fear. And sometimes I think that we're because of our excitement and maybe because we we feel, you know, we've got an ability with AI and we want to show off what we can do. We forget that we have a lot of people that are still just not comfortable. And sure. I think it was uh, Saba uh, who I heard her on a podcast saying, sometimes you got to prime the human first. And that's so important. So. Now, when you go and do your trainings and so on, 
how do you warm up your educators to kind of just that may have that fear and are not comfortable and maybe nobody's really giving them that space to just voice and say, hey, like, I want to try it. I'm just scared. Mm -hmm. What are your what has been your experience with that and how do you help them overcome that fear? Yeah, so this is actually it's a really good question and it's um, something I've thought about explicitly. So I actually sort of drew upon my classroom experience, um, thinking about the teachers in the room, kind of like their students. So um, they've done I don't know if you're familiar with like the funds of knowledge approach to countering stereotype threat, but they've found that basically even just getting kids to think about the, the assets that they have and that they carry with them into the space, if that's like their experiences, you know, their uh, their values, just they're the things that they're good at. If they just get, have some time to journal about like those assets that they carry with them that make them strong and capable, it has a direct result on test scores. Their test scores, literally kids who do that, their test scores go up. So I think it's important for teachers to also spend some time to just like journal about their capacity. Um, because we have some very pernicious ideas in our culture about what teachers are capable of and what they're not capable of. And I saw this firsthand studying at teachers college and then studying tech at Stanford. And like, you know, studying at Stanford, I, I had people on either side of me like, oh, you know, you work at Amazon or, oh, you work at Meta. And I was intimidated by that. You know, these people have these big salaries, these fancy jobs. I'm an educator. Um, I cannot tell you how many times at Stanford we'd be talking about something or working on something where I'd think to myself, if I were in a room full of teachers right now, we could have solved this in five minutes. Like, oh my gosh, give me my teachers back. You know, we are autodidacts, right? No, like the, the skill of the future is the ability to reskill. It's the learning. No one is better at learning than teachers. We're really good at it, right? How many times are we just a week ahead of our kids scrambling to learn all the material so that we can teach it? We're so good at learning. Like we have the keys to the kingdom, which is the ability to teach ourselves things. So I think just reminding teachers of that, um, you know, we, like I said, we've got this culture that has some really awful messaging to teachers of like, oh, those who can't do teach, we don't pay them, we don't appreciate them. It's, it's gross, right? But, and, it's, and it's so divorced from the reality of what this group is capable of. So I think even just reminding them of who they are is super important and it builds up that, that capacity. Oh, I love it. I love it. And, you know, interestingly, like you said, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you. Just the ability to reskill, the ability to improvise, adapt and overcome. Like every educator that's been in the classroom has done that many times over. And so interestingly that you mentioned that because a lot, I think that that perception of maybe seeing somebody like you and seeing you on LinkedIn and just the great content that you post. I mean, obviously you have a great background, you've reskilled, you've taken your skills that you learned and transferred them over into this space and, you know, bringing some of that knowledge that you learned. I, at that conference, I met with, uh, you know, a conference attendee and she's also a keynote speaker and everything. And, you know, I got to talk to her. I was like, we were driving to lunch and I said, Hey, you know, the work that you're doing, like, this is amazing, you know, and sharing your experience. And I'll never forget this. She said, Fonz, it's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you, what you're doing is you're doing some great stuff through the podcast. I was like, yeah, I know, but you're going out there and doing that, uh, you know, here and there. And she's like, Fonz, to be honest with you, she's like, I'm probably only 10 to 15 days ahead of everybody. You know, there's, there really isn't an expert expert out there. It's just yeah. the fact that 
We're taking the time to learn, to try and stay ahead, to help those that are, you know, slightly behind or to work with those teachers that really need that additional help. But she's like, Fawn's like, I'm only 10 to 15 days ahead and that's yep. it. And that really blew my mind. I was like, you know, that's, I, I appreciated her honesty, number one. And then just saying like, okay, we're, while we're on the right track, let's keep it going. Let's keep it moving. So I thought that that was very interesting. That kind of went in line with a little bit about what you said there. So I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, hundred percent. It was, I was just, uh, is it, is it pronounced Seth Godin or Seth Godin? I can never remember. Is that, I, always, I always say Godin. Godin. I think it's <laughs> yeah. Godin. Um, I was just listening to some speech he gave and he was talking about how, um, I don't know if this is literally true, but I like to believe that it's true. He said, um, no one on earth knows how to make a mouse, like a computer mouse. There's no one person on earth that knows like the like sourcing of materials and logistics, the hardware side, the software side. There's no one who knows all the parts of it. Right. So I think like this idea that, you know, all of us are smarter than any one of us. Right. And that no one has all of the answers. I see a bunch of people. I think Jason actually on your um, who's just on your podcast yeah. recently was posting about just how he's trying to get into the habit of just saying, I don't know more. Right. And it's like, you know, I think for a lot of people in this space, um, you know, it's, it's almost like a red flag if you're not saying, I don't know, because no one has all the answers and we're all just sort of like, you know, trudging through, we're just trying to figure it out. Um, it's all so new. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually trying to like practice that more, especially in front of teachers of just being like, I actually don't know the answer to that. Let me get back to you. Like, yeah. yeah. No, no. And you're absolutely right. And, and when I saw Jason's post on that too, I was like, yeah, this is, this is amazing. And it's so true because oftentimes it's like, it's, you want to have an answer for everything, but him just saying like, Hey, it's okay. I don't know. And, and people just saying, okay, cool. Like I'm not the only one that feels like they don't know. There's somebody else also that doesn't know, but Hey, we can just not know this together, but continue moving forward and share what we learn. And I think that's so important within the space because uh, oftentimes it's like, we see those finished products. We see those wonderful people that are posting how they're using this app and how they're using that app. And so on. And, and I feel like many times that imposter syndrome kicks in for a lot of teachers. And then it kind of, instead of encouraging them, they kind of feel, well, like, no, I can never do that. Or, you know, I'm missing out on so much. And, and, you know, we forget, you know, we have teachers that we definitely need to bring up with us and, and build them up to and, and understanding that what you're seeing is the finished product of a lot of work that goes into you know, uh, what you're seeing, but again, you know, it, it takes time, but it's okay to not know everything. And that's one thing that I learned real quick going from high school to elementary, uh, that it was okay to not know everything. And it was okay to learn from my students and it's okay to learn from my colleagues and just take it up a notch. And just like I always say here, take what you learn, sprinkle it to sprinkle it onto what you're already doing. Great. And just make it your own and, you know, yeah. and it'll work, whatever works for you. So that's awesome. Uh, you, um, oh, just real quick. The, I just wanted to tell you because you might find this kind of funny. So um, my dad was a diplomat, like a U.S. diplomat. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a test on the foreign service exam when they do interviews for new diplomats where the correct answer is, I don't know. And they're actually asking you an impossible question to see if you're the kind of person who will admit when you don't know the answer. I just thought that was kind of cool to mention. Yeah, that is cool yeah. to mention. And yeah, so again, goes back to that. Like we don't have all the answers, but as long as we're willing to learn, that's got that's awesome. Well, I mean, Evan, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. I know we could probably keep going on and on and on. And maybe 
you know, we can definitely do a part two, maybe in a couple of months and so on. But again, just thank you so much for being here. And I want to thank all our audience members. I know we've had Jesus who joined us, Thomas who joined us. We had Mensa who joined us. We had Shira who joined us and all of those that are listening on Instagram and LinkedIn and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. Thank you all for being part of our show today and part of our conversation. So I'm just really excited, really pumped. And again, it was just great talking to you and connecting with you. But before we go, before we go, (laughs) I always love to end the show with these last three questions. So if you're ready, Evan, here we go. Question, Question number one is, we know that every superhero has a weakness or a pain point. And we know that Superman's biggest pain point was kryptonite as his weakness. So I want to ask you, in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? Yeah, so I, I sort of actually discovered this recently, uh, getting up in front of crowds and doing professional development, running professional development. There's something different about teaching teachers versus teaching students, because I never felt this teaching students, but teaching teachers, I feel it kind of acutely, which is um, just like a kind of a sensitivity about like, oh, what do they think of me? Like, do they like me? Like that kind of people pleasing thing. And especially like I was saying at the top about how they project their ideas about AI onto you. I'm so sensitive to that, that like if there are people in the room that I can sense kind of have this antipathy, it's hard for me not to take that personally, even though I know they don't know me and like it's not personal at all. It's just they're feeling, you know, uneasy and they're projecting that. Um, But I've, I've tried to think more openly about that and realize that like it's not you know, it's not my fault. Um, and in some ways, actually, if they're feeling kind of negative and they're giving voice to that, that's that's healthy. Like, I want them doing that and having those conversations out loud. So I'm trying to reframe the way I'm thinking of that. But that is definitely my kryptonite is just kind of like, oh, I want everyone in the room to like me. And it's like, oh, it's not going to happen, dude. You're you're kind of <laughs> you're talking about a sensitive subject here. Yeah. No way. You know what? That makes that makes two of us. And that's always been my thing. But, you know, that's the way it goes. But yeah. thank you so much for sharing that. All right, here we go. Question number two is, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Um, I would do just rethink assessment um, because I think that's one of my main messages to schools. Like we spend a lot of time talking about ethics and safety for AI. Like I said, I think that needs to come first and be a prerequisite for bringing the technology in. But my kind of, Uh, the thing that I'm sort of evangelizing out there, the thing I think is so important is that we just have to rethink assessment. Um, And those schools that have already started this work are finding themselves much better positioned to deal with AI. Because the problem is like, you know, a lot of schools are thinking about AI in the context of academic integrity and cheating, but students are less likely to want to cheat if they find their work meaningful, right? If they see themselves in the work, if they're solving a real problem, they're addressing a real issue, they're they're actually curious about what they're learning. That requires them to have some degree of autonomy. It requires us to think about learning as a process and not a single product. It requires good pedagogy and good teaching. We've got to make that move. It's just so, so important. Um, And also, you know, the second piece of that is AI is less able to replicate process. If if learning is just a product, AI can replicate products. It can spit out a five-paragraph essay like that. What it can't do is like the formative work, the metacognitive work, the collaborative work. That's where the learning is happening anyway. So we've got to rethink assessment. 
Love it. Thank you so much. All right. And the last question, Evan, is there a hobby or a favorite activity that you have that you wish you can turn into a full-time profession? And if yeah. so, which is it? Yeah. So during the pandemic, I built a little music studio because um, it was just, I needed an indoor hobby all of a sudden. Um, and like I said, I used to work in music. So I just bought like analog synths and just like nerded out making R&B, which is just what I love. I love R&B. So I would just make beats. Uh, I, it's, it's, if, for anyone who makes music or produces music, it's almost like video games. It's just this huge time suck. Like you, you'll look up and it's noon and then you'll look up again and it's five o'clock and you thought two minutes went by. It's just such a good hobby. Um, and I, I love making music. So that's probably what I do. Oh, I love that. And you know what? Now that makes sense how, why you gave me a compliment on that yeah, beat. Because actually, I created that beat <laughs> using an app and I just sat there and I just said, I, I want something original for the show. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the name of the app. It, it'll come to mind and maybe I'll share it with you on LinkedIn. But yeah. I just sat there and I just like, hey, let's just make some beats. And that's what I landed on. But yeah. that is so cool because I can totally nerd out on that too. I mean, I, I play saxophone, drums, guitar, bass, and a little bit of keyboard. So I could totally see us nerding out and having some great conversations about music. <laughs> That'll be great. Well, Evan, thank you so much. I really appreciate just really you sharing your experience, sharing your thoughts. And, you know, it it really is wonderful. I'm definitely leaving here with my bucket filled and definitely with a lot to think about as, you know, the great things that you've shared. And for all our audience members, too, I know that this was something that was very useful for them. And just to be able to hear different perspectives, you know, as as like you mentioned, Jason has been on the show, Saba, you know, we've had all sorts of, you know, educators, practitioners being here. And, and, and it's always great to see things from different perspectives. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing also with school districts and really bringing some more AI knowledge uh, all around, you know, to our teachers, educators, policymakers, stakeholders, and so on, and making that difference. So keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Thanks, man. You too. I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Like, this is so well curated. Like, you're such a great host. I really appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And for all our audience members, all of you that joined us, thank you so much for all your questions, your comments, and everything. And for all you guys that will be checking this out on the replay, please make sure you visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, where you can check out this amazing episode and the other 262 episodes where I promise you, you will find something specifically for you that you can take some knowledge nuggets from, sprinkle it onto what you are already doing great. So please make sure you visit our website. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please jump over to our YouTube channel. Please give us a thumbs up and subscribe. This year, we're trying to make it to 1,000 subscribers. So we would greatly appreciate you jumping over to our YouTube and giving us that or hitting that subscribe button and giving us a thumbs up. And if you don't already yet, follow us on all socials. Please follow us on all socials at MyEdTechLife. We're talking about Twitter, LinkedIn, Threads, Facebook, TikTok, and so on. Please make sure you follow us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And if you have any feedback or any suggestions for uh, guests, feel free to reach out. My DMs are always open and I'm always looking for amazing guests or amazing suggestions and also some amazing feedback from y'all. So thank you all. Really appreciate it. And my friends, don't forget, until next time, stay techie.